this special all-decade team edition of About Them Cowboys is brought to you by Game Time. It's your go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. I know a lot of you are debating going to the Cowboy game. Maybe you've never checked out what the Cowboys have going on on Thanksgiving. A lot of tradition there. Maybe you're just sick of your family on Thanksgiving. You've got to get out of the house. Hit up the Game Time app. You can even do it under the table in two taps. Check out the best deals on the last-minute tickets for Cowboys Bills. Get that ticket on the Game Time app. Sneak away. Head right into the stadium. Buy with confidence with Game Time. And even if you're not a football fan all the time, Game Time has all the concert, theater, baseball, hockey, and NBA tickets that you need. So do yourself a favor. Save a bunch of money on tickets by downloading the Game Time app on Google Play or the App Store. Save up to 60% on last-minute tickets. How about them Cowboys? Indeed. Welcome back, Cowboys fans and athletic subscribers to About Them Cowboys. Kent Garrison here, your producer, for for this special edition of the show as we bring you the athletics' choice for the all-decade team for the Dallas Cowboys from 2009 until 2020, basically. End of 2019. We'll round it. So, uh, we're doing this across the entire network of The Athletic, across written, across podcasts. This is a big, fun initiative that we've got going in honor of the celebration of the NFL. So, we're here to uh, reveal the choices that we've made and debate, possibly, if the wrong choice was made. So, we're welcoming in John Mishoda, Mike Pellucci, and Kevin K.T. Turner of the athletic dfw for this hour and kt i think you've got the envelope sealed and we're gonna reveal the list now so have at it host kevin yes thank you very much i appreciate it kent and you know this has been a you know a a decade full of you know scrambling to get to the playoffs two dominant teams in 2014 and 2016 a couple of eight and eights in there along the way of course as well a 9-7 and seven winning team that didn't make the playoffs, even though they were a winning team in 2017. And then the future is unwritten for what happens with this 2019 squad, but it has been, nonetheless, quite the football roller coaster, as is, as is the Dallas Cowboys. That is the story of their life. So to do this all-decade team, uh, basically I'll uh, untap the envelope. We'll just start from the top here, and then we'll uh, debate and Go right down the line and see if we agree on it, all right? We start yes, at the quarterback position. Tony Romo oh. gets the nod over Dak Prescott. It's going to be Kyle Orton for a second. but Yeah, I thought Kellen had a chance. <laughs> um, he threw for 400 yards in a game. So John Machota's got a, an article out that is going to have these all listed, and we're just going to chop up these players based on his article. We start out with the quarterback position. Tony Romo gets the nod over Dak Prescott. And as John, John, as you wrote in your piece, you know, the decision came down. If you think about it, it's 2010 to 2014 for Tony. He's not going to really count 2015 where he was hurt pretty much all year long. And then it's 2016 through this season that we're currently in for Dak. And Dak's done a good job of making this a close race. If you asked before the season started, you might go, oh, yeah, of course it's Tony. Right now, you've got Dak kind of 
getting into the contention here saying, hey, guys, don't forget about me. Maybe I am the quarterback of the decade. What came down to your decision here, uh, John? <laughs> it's funny because that's why I wrote at the end that, you know, I reserve the right. If I mean, he's to take them like the NFC championship game and keeps playing the way he has. We might have to revisit this. But uh, um, it, for me, it came down to 2014. And it's just the fact of that defense wasn't that great. And, you know, they ended up having a great season. And a lot of that was because of just how good Tony was that year. And he did a lot of the heavy lifting. And I know that, you know, when people think of 2014, they're going to think of DeMarco and, and, you know, how well he ran. Uh, but he was a huge part of the passing game, too. And it was just really that offense covering that team the entire year. It was like the offense just had to score. I felt like almost every time they had the ball and they could, then the last thing you wanted was a quick drive because then the defense would have to be back on the field. Like it was just all about the offense that year. And, and I thought that was Tony's best year um, during this decade. And up until this point, you know, Dak has been very good uh, in 16 and, and he's been excellent this year. And so he's given him a run for his money, but, when I looked back and I just, I just remember it's, it's fine. Cause it's supposed to be about the quarterback, but I just remember how not impressive that defense was and ended up and how good that team ended up being. And, and really just, you know, a few minutes away from potentially going to the NFC championship game and who knows, maybe even a super bowl with, you know, a defense that was led by Jeremy Mincy. I think he had six sacks and, you know, Rolando McLean was, was outstanding at linebacker because Sean Lee got hurt, you know, he didn't get to play in that year. And, I don't know. It just wasn't. It wasn't anything special on defense, and it, you know, Romo did a lot of the work. And then yeah. you know, you you feel like that 2010. You know, Romo was one in five. He'd been hurt, so he played six games that year. But then you went eight and eight, eight and eight, eight and seven, twelve and three. But if you were just going to go pure stats, you'd go, okay, well, Dak, uh, well, Tony's got the edge in pretty much all of these categories. Uh, you know, because he's you know he had a big touchdown seasons 31, 28, 31, 34 from eleven to fourteen. You know, it, it's a shame those teams weren't able to ever get over the hump. And you know, some of that is to, is on Tony, but you just can't put any of that on him because he carried that team so much. There were so many other areas in that team that were just lackluster. Um, you know, to to kind of and 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 it is interesting that is the time period too where they transitioned into kind of a new drafting format with the promotion of Will McClay, which kind of seemed to take off in 2013 and 2014. You know, it's to, the way they started doing things kind of changed at the end of Tony's career as well. So uh, I don't I don't argue with you here. I, I do think Tony uh, does get the edge, but I do think it's pretty close. I, I really do because, you know, whatever you want to say, Dak had a bunch of winning seasons in there, and I know quarterback wins is a bad stat and all that stuff, but – you know, where are you without Dak in those well, seasons? Well, I had to factor that yeah. in, too, is just like what would Dak right. have been, what we've seen so far up until this point, what would he have been with those teams? And, well, I think he would have he would have done well, especially him being young. I don't know. I, I just – I don't know if those teams even would have went 8-8. Eight and eight. It just – it took yeah. like a veteran quarterback to kind of do that at that time. So, I don't know. I guess that's why I kind of gave the benefit of the doubt to Tony. But, he, I mean, it yeah. remains to be seen. And I think the other thing, too uh, – you know, I, whenever I look back at all decades, type exercises, I think just the first thing that pops out whenever it's close is just, you know, feel. How did it feel? Whose team did it feel like? And, you know, the thing with Tony is, yeah, he's out for a lot of 2015 and a lot of 20, 2016, but it was still, I mean, deep into that first year with Dak, there was still a lot of conversation about, you know, what's going to happen when Tony's back? You know, and Tony, of course, plays the, you know, that series against, I want to say Philadelphia, and he looks good. And, you know, Tony was perpetually in the picture. I mean, it was very much Tony's team. And even for the first year or two when Dak was there, it felt as much Dak and Zeke, not always just Dak coming to his own the way that he has in 2019. So 
for me, I just look back at this decade and I there's so much of it that is intertwined to Romo. Um, the rise and the fall of sort of the team and just the fact that when at this point in this decade, he's very firmly in his prime and his late prime. And so everything was on him in a way that, as you guys just alluded to, it hasn't really been on Dak's shoulders until recently. So it just, for me, if we're, if it's going to be close and credit to Dak and what he's done this year for making it as close as he has, uh, just the tie comes down to just the feel and the presence. And Tony really was that presence looming over the entire team until really his retirement at the end of 2016. Now, running back, it's a pretty easy one. We go with Zeke uh, as the all-decade team member. You know, we do know that DeMarco Murray had that big year in 2014. But, you know, DeMarco Murray was always injury-prone. That's my memory more than the 2014 season. My my memories of DeMarco Murray are a guy who's always kind of hobbled. Uh, so, I think it's very clear that there's that there, uh, Zeke is the uh, the clear running back for the all-decade team in twenty uh, for the 2010s. Yeah, I have no issue with that. Um DeMarco was amazing in 2014. Um, yes. But I don't think that, for one, I mean, it, really this whole thing can be summed up to this. They were willing to let DeMarco Murray go and made it seem like almost like, okay, we can just go running back with, by committee. And because that was such a, an epic disaster, that's why not only do you draft a running back in the first round, you draft a running back at four in Zeke. And ever since then, he's been the number one guy in this team, 16, 17, 18, and now 19, that every team is going to stop. Or at least that's their game plan is to stop him. And usually when you stop him, you stop the Cowboys. Well, I think when people criticize, go ahead. I think John really hit on something at the beginning of what he was saying there, which was, you know, the approach was running back by committee to replace DeMarco but even just if you trace the, the lineage of the running back position for this team post Emmett Smith until Zeke arrived, there always felt like this willingness to, to potentially move on after two or three years, you know, and now and it feels so foreign because if you look at the conversation around Zeke, the organization's belief and trust in Zeke, regardless of what you think or what we think about the strategy of, you know, establish Zeke first and build everything afterwards, just the fact that this organization has gone from, for the better part of 15 years, went with disposable running backs or, you know, running backs here for two or three years, then we can find the next one to Zeke is the pillar upon everything we do. That, that That's the focal point for everything. That's a truly remarkable shift. And that really shows you the depth of his talent, the depth of the belief in him that they are willing to not even just, you know, look at the rushing titles and think you could get another one, but really just mentally reorganize their entire way of thinking around this one player. That's a pretty powerful thing. And it's, uh, again, you know, if you're thinking big picture for the decade, he just sort of looms over that position unlike anybody else. You know, when people criticize their decision in 2016 to draft Zeke, and we'll say over Jalen Ramsey perhaps or whatever it is, I always go, well, look at 2015. They went with running back by committee and it turned out to be the wrong thing. Now, with a healthy Romo, who knows how that season turns out. But that might have been the wrong thing to do. But the other wrong thing to do would have been to pay DeMarco Murray. Like... <laughs> That there was no right answer right there unless it was use your first-round draft pick on a running back maybe in 2015, and that wouldn't look good either, I don't think. Um, so, like, that's that's kind of where I go, what did you want them to do right there? When they took Zeke in 2016, that's fine. I know you wanted Jalen Ramsey, and maybe you could get someone else in the second round, but I've always been like, I, I don't have a problem with, with uh, that pick if, if as long as you do believe that this guy is a generational talent. And I do like the fact, despite his kind of, um, I want to say, look, a loss of a step maybe or whatever it is this year. I do like the fact that they signed him to that deal and they can get out of it. I mean, you basically got a guy for six years. 
you're going to have him for three. Well, I guess this is year four. And then the, the extension will start, right? And then five, six, seven years of a running back. Then we can trash him just like that. It's fine. Not that big of a deal. So I'm totally okay with how they handled all that. Because in 2015, everyone's like, well, you should have signed Murray. And then it turns out, well, no, you shouldn't have signed Murray. Because it turns out he didn't have much left. Well, what if you sat there and you would have drafted a running back in 2015 instead of Byron Jones late in the first? I mean, that would have been a disaster because all the running backs that were kind of going there. I mean, it would have been like T.J. Yeldon. And, you know, I think even like, uh, I don't know, like David Johnson, I think. But that was like in the the third round. But there just wasn't a lot of – there were not Zeke Elliott's out there. Let's put it that way. To be the running backs went. (laughs) All the running backs that they wanted were gone because they they settled for Chaz Green. Now, if you want to critique them and say maybe they could have traded up in the third round, you know, David Johnson was a guy who they did have interest in uh, from Northern Iowa. They had interest in Duke Johnson, but I think we've kind of seen that Duke Johnson is not a tote-the-note guy. Tevin Coleman was never going to get to him, you know, 20 picks before. Like, those are all things they wanted. That run, Once that run on running backs began, and it really began with kind of Derrick Henry, really kind of started that, you know, uh, in the second – well, also, I'm sorry, T.J. Yeldon. Uh, who you mentioned, Derrick Henry was in 2016. TJ Yeldon started that whole run on running backs. It was just never going to get going to get there. Like so, that's where the Chaz Green pick comes in. And you can go look through the rest of that draft, and you're not going to find many other impressive names that make you go, "Oh, I wish we had him." I remember we, I remember talking about Jay Ajayi for so long, and I was like, "Well, that'd be great," but it's like, "Well, they don't believe in him because of his knee." So, but that was an easy one at running back. So let's keep it moving here and slide on to wide receivers. Now, for wide receivers, we're going to do the two outside wide receivers and the slot guy. Let's start with the slot guy, Cole Beasley. I think that's quite quite honestly pretty easy. Not that we we're identifying him as a slot, but three wide receivers. We'll start with Cole Beasley. Not that he's number one on this list, but I think it makes sense. He was there for pretty much the entirety of the decade, undrafted, guy with local ties. And then, you know, he was just solid you know, pretty much every year that he was here. So I think that's a pretty easy one of the top three in Cole Beasley. Des Bryant makes it, of course, the number one uh, and and the shoe in right here. I mean, Des going to the Pro Bowl three times, uh, leading the franchise in touchdown catches. I mean, it's pretty easy right there. The one that I might have a problem with here, John, is Miles Austin. Now, as you wrote in your piece, he started 49 games for the Cowboys from 2010 to 2013. Got 21 touchdowns. His best season was in 09, but we start in 2010 here. Um, this is where I kind of have a problem. Does, does Amari Cooper deserve to sneak in here? I know you need to have a little bit of longevity, but let's look at Amari Cooper's year and how that ends up and the impact that he had last year. I might be willing to put Amari Cooper in there on this all-decade team. I have no argument with that. And I don't, I, I'm not having – I should have the list in front of me. I don't right now. But I feel like I mentioned that with one in one of the write-ups about one of the receivers. That that's completely fair. Now, I did write this like three weeks ago. And so, obviously, Amari continues to just blow up. And obviously, if he continues to do that, then, yeah, it's Amari Cooper for me. But when I was writing this thing, I was like, eh, I don't know. Uh, you know, Miles, you I just remember – you oh, wrote sorry, that on Cole Beasley. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut yeah, you yeah, off, but yeah. you wrote that on Cole Beasley. Uh, yeah. But I, w- I would I would replace Miles Austin with there and keep Cole Beasley. Yeah, that's fair. I can definitely see it. I'm, there's one pick later on where I'll make the impact over longevity argument. But uh, 
you know, it's so tricky. I mean, I guess like the, the argument too is that it's not like Miles was here very deep into the decade, right? It was three seasons. Amari has been here a year and a half. Uh, you know, the the gap in play, and Miles is certainly a fine, solid receiver. Don't get me wrong, but what Amari's doing, I think you could definitely, it, it you know, it, it's one one and a half seasons of total elite production versus three years of very solid production. You know, it's pick your poison. I think you, you really came down to that for me that last year being only like a half season, you know, if you right, were like right, two right. full years, that's what I really like kind of dealt with because I mean, you can make the argument that Amari's the best receiver that the franchise has ever had. If he continues to play like this, you know, so yeah, we gotta go, I, well, we have I, to go a long way for that. Well, he's crushing it this year and I hope he keeps it up right now. 53 catches so far this year. Uh, and, and actually <laughs> averaging 16 yards of reception, which is pretty great. Seven touchdowns. Uh, so we'll probably, you know, kind of hover around that 12, 13 touch. He'll, be, he'll get to double digit touchdowns for the first time in his career this year. And I think a part of it, though, I do, I am, you know, putting on display the impact he had last year. Like that totally matters how he saved a season to get your team in the playoffs. He did that. Like it doesn't well, happen without okay. him. He might be saving this season. Who knows what they would be without him? Like his mm-hmm. yeah. as where they're at right now. Like where are they without Amari Cooper right now? I mean, they might only yeah. have like two wins. Let's go to tight end. And I was shocked to see you put down Gavin Escobar, John. <laughs> um, no, okay. Well, no, I'm sorry. When he, when he was here and I just, we became close and I just really didn't think he was used the right way and I felt bad for him. So I just want to show him some respect. <laughs> I've noticed you always pulling for those San Diego state guys. Um, no, it's Jason Witten. Um, I mean, do we even need to spend time on this? It's quite obvious. He is the end all be all for tight end of the 2010s for the Cowboys. Was this the single easiest selection you made in the whole thing? I mean, yeah. If you don't, if you don't include long snapper, yes, <laughs> yes, because John didn't even write a full paragraph in his article. It just says five Pro Bowls since 2010. No one else yeah. comes close. And I think I might have added something for the final uh, copy. I think I added in there that he was on the. Uh, it was the NFL. He was one of the NFL's tight ends for the all decade team the decade before, just to show you how long he's been playing. So, yeah, um, yeah obviously, uh, I think he's headed for Canton. But continue, yeah. And what I mentioned, what John wrote, I, I do mean that well, I'm seeing what I'm seeing is not the final copy. I'm not seeing the final copy will obviously have a have some glitter on it and all that. Yeah, it'll stuff. have some glitter on it. Miles Austin will be out. Amari Cooper will be in. No, sorry, go oh yeah, I hope so. Uh, why do I hate Miles Austin? I'll tell you why. Uh, I like Miles Austin actually. I don't hate the guy, but one time I went to a restaurant and I know the guy that ran the restaurant and I had reserved a table with a with a date. And, uh, you know, it's one of those private tables where it makes you look nice. And he mm-hmm. goes, KT, I got to bump you tonight. Miles Austin and DeMarco Murray are in, at your table. Mm. And I said, fine, I'll eat with the peasants. And that's <laughs> what I did. So that's why I have an axe to grind. That I believe that was the night that DeMarco Murray got booed at the UFC event, if you remember that, at the, at the American Airlines Center. And, I totally uh, forgot this. I think the meeting that was happening was DeMarco Murray and uh, kind of recruiting Miles Austin to sign with the Eagles. So, yeah. I do go. remember that. Yeah. That's a long way of, of uh, telling the world that I uh, had a date one time. Um, <laughs> left tackle. Oh, man. Tyron Smith, my guy. Um, six Pro Bowls. I mean, <laughs> this is a pretty easy one, too, right, John? Really, there's no <laughs> other competitor right there. It's been him pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I, I didn't have very much. Uh, that wasn't very difficult. 
that'll make you. I know feel what's old, his name. Huh? Played left tackle for a little bit, didn't he? At the beginning of the decade, uh, was it Flozell? Yeah, and then Just I think Doug Free did as well. Doug Free yeah, played yeah. left tackle. For the Doug Free left tackle experience didn't go so well. Yeah, John, uh, Mike. I know you're a uh, USC guy. Was Tyron one of the best, if not the best, you've ever seen at the at the position? In college, it was so interesting because he came out at the same time as Matt Khalil. And people forget it now because Matt Khalil has been pretty mediocre the last several years. And you can attribute that to, uh, you know, there's plenty of speculation as to why. But Matt Khalil's first few years in the league were real strong. And Matt Khalil in college played the left side and Tyron played the right side. And uh, I tend to be, I feel like fairly conservative about which USC guys will succeed. And with Tyron, he was not one of the ones that I 100% banked on only because like sometimes you see those guys on the right side, they can't flip it to the left. I knew the physical tools were there, but he just, he never was that guy on the left side of USC. And so I thought, all right, well, how is this going to go? I was more of a JJ Watt guy that year for Dallas than I was Tyron. Um, but the physical tools were obvious. I mean, that guy coming out of high school uh, was, you know, I mean, he was so lean. He, he was an offensive tackle and he was only probably about I don't know, God, 265 at that point. But he, I mean, the guy had almost like a six pack playing left tackle. You could tell the, the ability and the agility that he had for special and the tools were there. And then that combined with the fact he was coming out at such a young age. I mean, he came in the league and he was the youngest player in the league uh, when he arrived. So you could always see that the tools were there. Um, and then once, I mean, even me for my skepticism, once I saw he could play left tackle within about like five games of watching, I was like, Oh, okay. Now he's just going to be a superstar. That's just how this is going to go. So. Yeah, uh, it, it's not a huge shock for me. Once I saw him actually do it on the left side, it was like, okay, sure. And there are plenty of people who saw it all along, and that's why those people get paid more money than me to evaluate football. It's also important to note that I feel like if Jason Garrett wasn't the head coach or an offensive guy wasn't the head coach, they might have went in a totally different direction in, in, in this draft. Let's say, for just example, that Mike Zimmer was the head coach, a defensive-minded guy, or a Matt Patricia, something like that. I think there's a good possibility they go J.J. Watt there. And I know even for the Cowboys, there was strong, you know, dialogue back and forth between the offense and defensive side. Like, hey, this is going to be, you know, that was Jason Garrett's first, you know, full year as head coach. It's going to be his first draft. Like, do we go Tyron there at nine or do we go J.J. Watt? And because Jason wanted, you know, he's, I got an offensive background. He wanted to build up that line because the line was so terrible at that point. And so that's where the start of what you see today is, and, and I just, I find it fascinating sometimes to think about that of just how different this team might be if they had gone JJ Watt there instead of Tyron Smith. And then the left guard, Ron Leary, uh, 47 games over a four year span with the Cowboys, including those big years in 2014 and then uh, 2016 as well. And I think, I think that's where you kind of look at Ronald Leary and go, man, he was, he's a very special player uh, for what he did. Cause those are two of the Cowboys I would call their dominant years. Um, and, and, and really it's a situation where you look at them and go, they couldn't sign him. They never believed that his knee was healthy ever. <laughs> and they, that's why he went undrafted in 2012 and they took a shot on him. Jerry famously to me, or the way I always remember is that Jerry always liked Ronald Leary quite a bit as a Love player. Him. Um, and that's where I think it's very interesting. And, but he was, he was awesome, man. And still to this day, you kind of, Go, man, where would this offensive line be if the left guard thing was a little bit more shored up right now? That's why it was such an easy pick to make Leary because it's like, all right, not Leary. Who do we go with? I think Lyle Collins played a season at left guard. Are we going to go off one season there? I'm just They were clearly at their highest level with Leary. And then other than that, like I said, you go back to those previous years and it was just such a 
patchwork group. So I know that Ron Leary wasn't here for a large part of the decade, but I just thought he was clearly the best left guard they had during the decade. At center, four-time Pro Bowler Travis Frederick. That's another easy one. <laughs> Been a lot of easy picks on the line. Yeah, I think once you get to defense, that's where you have more questions. So let's spend more time on those. Zach Martin at right guard. Um, again, obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, Zach Martin's got a chance to go down as one of the best players in franchise history. I guess Tyron, you could say the same about him as well, depending on how he holds up. And, and really for both of these guys, how they hold up. But two guys with legit – really, if you want to throw Travis in there too, three guys who legitimately – you know, could be top 10, 15 players in franchise history when this thing's all said and done. Yeah, the, the Frederick thing always, I mean, that was one of those moments that so many people on draft day, myself included, were going, what are you doing? Passing up Sharif Floyd. And it's one of the best moves they've ever made. They get Travis Frederick in the trade down. They get, a, you know, they get Terrence Williams who starts at them, you know, as the second receiver for half dozen years. It's uh, It was just Half dozen is probably too high, but uh, for a while, I mean, it was just such an incredible transaction. That was, I feel like if there's a point, you know, where you look at, you start thinking, all right, maybe things are really changing around here in terms of how they're evaluated and, you know, how much we should trust the front office. That transaction to me is always one of the first ones that comes to mind of, you know what, this, that things are different now and they know what they're doing and this is going to work out. And let's go to right tackle to Doug Free. John, as you wrote in your piece, he was there's a tackle for them for seven years, and he only missed five starts during that time, which that alone gets you some major props in, in this league where guys are getting hurt and missing games all the time. The fact that he played seven years and only missed five games, and he was on, once again, much like we talked about with Ronald Leary, he, he was on those, uh, I mean, and Travis and Tyron too, and Zach, he was on those, <laughs> really everyone, he was on those, the the explosive teams, the 2014 and 2016, you know, dominant football teams. He was on there. So I think that's an easy one. Right tackle, too, Doug Free. The only competition would be maybe Lyle, but I think it's way too early. And the longevity for Doug Free at both right and left tackle gets him the easy nod at right tackle. Yeah, Lyle was the only other one I was thinking of. And it was just because I still think his ceiling is extremely high. And and I think he's been the Cowboys' best offensive lineman, at least the most consistent uh, throughout this 2019 season. And it just makes you think of, uh, you know, potentially what kind of a bargain they might've gotten by getting him extended before this season. Cause I certainly thought if he went to free agency after this year, he was going to make himself a boatload of money. And I mean, he still did make a lot of money, but um, it's just so hard to find good tackles in this league, obviously by that. <laughs> you don't need to look any further than that Laramie Tunsil deal that the, what the Texans gave up to get him. It just, it's hard to get guys in that position. And, and so I think if we, you know, five years from now, I think that, Lyle Collins is probably your right tackle there, but for this decade, yeah, I had to go with free. Let's see if we can knock out the defense in 10 minutes here. Demarcus Ware at defensive end uh, was in the 20, 2000. He was in the 2000s all-decade team as well. Uh, three po- uh, Pro Bowls, uh, three double-digit sack seasons. Very easy one right there. In fact, both defensive ends will be the Demarcuses. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence, the other defensive end. Uh, pretty easy right there, huh? We've been looking for a pass rush for a long time. And Demarcus Lawrence has kind of solidified things at the back end of the decade. In the middle of the decade, you're kind of looking for someone to step up. And at the beginning of the decade, you had Demarcus Ware. I think that's pretty pretty good choice right there. Who would be your all-decade um, defensive end at the other? So you have Ware there, but let's say Demarcus Lawrence and Robert Quinn played together during this whole entire decade. 
who do you think would be their their uh, other defensive end? I think it'd be Demarcus Lawrence and Quinn, right? No, I'm saying no, but where oh, has to be one of them. You have only one okay. spot left, either Lawrence or Quinn for the other spot. So obviously you got to take into account what, what Quinn has done up until this point with other teams. Yeah, it'd be Quinn. I still think it's got to be Lawrence. It's, he's such a complete end. He does so many different things. And you can make an argument that as good as Quinn is as a blindside rusher, some of that is because Tank eats up so much pressure on the other yeah, side. I yeah, I just think, I, I, I okay, think I, I want to agree, incredible. but I just think that 19 sack season really jumps out at you. Um, and Quinn, you know, had his really early years. I mean, we wouldn't have had anything like that. We haven't seen anything like that since the heyday of DeMarcus Ware, you know? Um, who would be the third and fourth though? I mean, like Quinn might be in there. Well, Quinn's not there yet, probably. Like who? Anthony Spencer. Like I had a hard time with the with the Anthony Spencers because of the fact that he he was more of an outside linebacker when they were doing three four and and like he I I mean he was he was good for them, but I don't I don't put him on that on that level of those other guys. So he would be probably the next one if you're just talking about edge rushers. He would I would think he would be the next one off top of yeah. my head. Uh, let's go to defensive tackle. We have Jason Hatcher. Um, now again, he, he started as a three, four defensive end. we're talking about, and then they had the, the scheme change. Um, he had 11 sacks in 2013. And then you also have Tyrone Crawford. So, you know, I think that's, um, there's only one other guy that I can seriously consider. And it, and, and it's almost like the miles Austin thing. And, and it's Ratliff, And that's just because, like you said about Miles Austin, what makes it hard too for me to throw him in there is because technically some of the, his best years started before this decade started. And so you think of him, but it's like if you really look at the years and we're going from 2010 to 2019, I mean, I think he made one Pro Bowl during the decade, but you could tell he wasn't the guy he was at, you know, the tail end of the last decade. Yeah, he made he made two. So I was I, this is where I was saying I, it was going to be my bone of contention. I, I'm, a, I'm a big rat guy. I always liked him. I thought that for me, I would go over him over Crawford. Granted, the years gap is really significant. I mean, Tyron Crawford's been here since 2012. As John notes in the piece, he has started 74 of the last 80 Dallas games, uh, which is an incredible number. I guess it's really a matter of impact versus longevity because the thing with Ty is he's so versatile and he can move him around so much, but they're always perpetually seem, they always perpetually seem to want to upgrade where he is and move him somewhere else to plug a hole versus building a defense around him. And at the beginning of the decade, obviously two of Brett's pro bowls were at the end of the last decade, the beginning of the decade, that defense was DeMarcus Ware and Jay Ratliff. And for me, I've never forgotten that. Um, just what he could do as an under tackle for so long in that 4-3 scheme before his body kind of gave out. I mean, 20, you know, his 2012 is when he gets hurt and he's never really, he goes to Chicago. It's not really the same. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's so hard because Crawford's consistency is so impressive. But for me, the peak that Ratliff had granted that four year peak of Pro Bowl started at the end of the last decade. But I, I think I would lean towards him here just because he was midway through that run of being one of the best tackles at his position. And, uh, they, you know, that's, they haven't had another one quite like that. Uh, since then on the inside. That's where, you know, it's this is not shots fired at Hatchard or Tyrone Crawford, but you think about the the investments that they tried to make, whether it be Henry Melton or, you know, Cedric Thornton, and just kind of the strikeouts that they've had at that position, and it makes you go, man, this it just hasn't been a position of strength, and maybe it would have been if they had drafted J.J. Watt back then. Uh, it's one of the life's fun games to play, is if, if I took a left here or a right here, if I went upstairs here or downstairs here, 
would I be something completely different? You know, would this team be something completely different if they went with J.J. Watt over Tyron Smith? Uh, I think that's very interesting to think about. We go to linebackers. Now, we're going to do this with two linebackers uh, and five defensive backs because it's, you know, modern-day NFL, right? Sean Lee, of course, very simple. The other one, a little bit of controversy, Anthony Hitchens at linebacker there. Um, what went into your thought process on having Anthony Hitchens in the game there, John? Uh, a longevity thing. That's why, like, even when Mike was just talking about the Hatcher and, and Tyrone Crawford and Jay Ratliff thing, I was thinking about, you know, really with even Hatcher, it's really just that one Pro Bowl a year why you really look at him as, as why you put him in one of those spots where he just blew up and then obviously then, you know, went to Washington the year after. But it, just the longe- longevity with, 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 uh, with Hitchens, I just, um, He'd been there for, uh, he was a starter on that on that uh, 16 team. He was a starter on that 18 team. That Those are two of the better teams of this decade. Um, and, you know, when I wrote this a few weeks ago, or yeah, whatever it was, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, Leighton and Jalen, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should have Jalen in here because he's played longer. But it's just like the way that those guys have played this year, I don't know. Like, I don't think I would really go against it right now. And then Sean Lee, I thought was just an obvious pick. Like, like seriously, like the guy that was thrown in there when I was thinking about this, I was like, all right, so we got like Brady James mm, and yeah. Bruce Carter. Like there just wasn't a lot of from you know afar. What I'm like, from afar, you go Anthony Hitchens, what? And then you really think about it and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty clear, actually. Um, let's go to cornerback Byron Jones. Uh, now I know he played some years at safety, but we're gonna we're gonna call him a cornerback. Um, Brandon Carr at cornerback. And then also we will take a third cornerback, Orlando Skandrick, on the all-decade team. Uh, your thoughts, fellas? The main thing that jumped out at me, and it's an incredible stat by John, I didn't realize, is that Brandon Carr, at least to the time that John filed this piece, uh, has started every game of his NFL career, wherever he's been. That's incredible. I know he did for, for the Cowboys. He never missed for the Cowboys. And I know he became a guy that you know kind of made the fan base unhappy just because you weren't seeing turnovers and things like that. But you know you had a, a situation for especially for the years he was here with Mo Claiborne hurt all the time. I'm going, man, I'll take the alternative. I'll take a guy who's at least going to play and you know be decent. You know, Brandon Carr wasn't great by any means in my opinion, but he was decent. Uh, maybe not worth the contract that you gave him. Not maybe you didn't get you know all of your money worth there, but. Great dude, great locker room dude, and a guy who's accountable and responsible and there at all times. Kind of have to take that when you traded up to go get Mo Claiborne, and that didn't work out. You know, like I think that's an important thing about Brandon Carr's story here is that he was something on the field that they didn't even get close to getting with Mo Claiborne. Yeah, th- those were pretty easy for me. I didn't really see anybody else that. Uh, again, like at the very beginning of the decade, it was again, like I said, with the Miles Austin, Jay Rattler thing, you had Terrence Newman who, um, you know, he had, he had some years there, but I just didn't think that the longevity was there, particularly in this, this decade, 2010, 2019. So, um, and, and you know what the other thing was that why it made it a lot easier to even go with a nickel defense is just because it was easier to know who those DBs were as opposed to like, what if I threw in a third linebacker, like, and I went with a traditional four three? Like, who would that third Not, linebacker nothing be? Nothing exciting. Jalen, maybe. Yeah. Would you say, say, say Jalen? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. That's probably who it would be. Uh, Barry Church at safety. Yeah, let's get to the safeties. This is this is <laughs> this is good. Actually, it, it's very good. Uh, you know, we know we know Barry Church is very solid here, especially playing as a box safety for for most of his time here. 
Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I'm I'm all in on that. I would take Barry Church over Jeff Heath. And I can tell you that most Cowboy fans <laughs> straight ahead would tell you that right now, right? Now you go to the other safety spot. And it's funny that we've we kind of had so we're talking about defensive tackle. What would you get there? You know, two positions that we kind of critique the Cowboys on for maybe not drafting as much as they should or spending as many resources on. Man, the, the safety on the all decade team that you have, when I saw it, I did a double take. I hadn't thought about this guy in years. Gerald Sensabaugh is on the all decade team for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, started. He had a 2010 season with. Five interceptions. Can you imagine getting five interceptions out of, your, out of one of your safeties? I cannot. Not anymore. <laughs> I, I loved the safeties because if you want to know the story of the decade in two positions, it's the it's the offensive line with the big three trio that they have right now. It tells you everything you know about how they rebuilt the franchise, what their drafting has been like. You can you can write an entire history of the decade on those three draft picks of Tyron Smith. Uh, Zach Martin and Travis Frederick. And if you go to the defense, there is nothing that epitomizes one strategy of the Dallas Cowboys and how they have not paid safeties in a solid decade more than Barry Church and Gerald Sensabaugh, two solid NFL players. But every other position you're sitting there, we're, we're sitting here arguing, well, should should Pro Bowl talent like Jay Ratliff be on here or not? Yeah. Should Amari Cooper be on here or not? And then you just got two very workmanlike safeties and it's like, yeah, those are the best options. Move on. And, and if you didn't go with them, it's like, the other guys would be like, as you mentioned, Jeff Heath, because of his longevity, mm-hmm. Savior Woods, J.J. Wilcox. I mean, oh, my you know, I guess for Byron Jones, if you wanted to consider him a safety, I just I put him at corner because it's been his best position. He obviously made the Pro Bowl. Um, and so it just kind of worked there. But I mean, safety has really been, you know, just kind of an up and down thing. Up to, I mean, I remember in the early part of the decade, they were, you know, bringing guys off the streets. Abe Elam, I remember, played it a little bit. I mean, it was just. I was trying to go with like two consistent guys there, but uh, well, I, I yeah. didn't think I would walk away from today going, "Man, I took Gerald Sensabaugh for granted." You know, <laughs> that's kind of my <laughs> overarching thing here. Is like, well, really, man, I should have appreciated that man more. I need to write him a letter. Um, you know, he's the last they actually spent sig- somewhat significantly in, in free agency to keep him. Um, I don't remember exactly what his deal was, but I did a story a year ago where I broke down and basically explained why the safety position, nobody values it less than the Dallas Cowboys and his, his last contract with the Cowboys is the most significant one that they've paid at the safety position. Cause if you remember like Barry church, he came up to get paid and then he went and signed with the Jaguars and obviously they had to pay, you know, Jeff Heath a ton. And then, you know, Xavier Woods is, is on his rookie deal. Um, and then as we mentioned, those other guys, they haven't, you know, there hasn't been any high investment. I mean, Xavier Woods was a six round pick. Jeff, Jeff Heath was undrafted. Um, Barry Church was undrafted. So, and yeah. special teams, pretty easy at kicker, Dan Bailey at punter, Chris Jones and long snapper LP Latisseur. Um, I felt a little bit older when I read that you wrote that Chris Jones took over for the punting duties in 2011. Man, I could have swore it was later than that. So it made me go, dang, <laughs> that time's flying when you're having fun. So, yeah, I didn't really I didn't have much option there. It was like, do I go with that one year of Matt McBriar or do I just give it to Chris Jones because he's pretty much had the job all Yeah, day. that's pretty easy on the specialist. No arguments anywhere. Obviously, LP's had it locked down. And Oh, hey, you know what? should I have a punt and kick returner? Um, mm. Who would be the punt returner? Is this bad that we're 
Adam Pacman Jones. Dwayne Harris? Like, what are we? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. You're right. You're right. That's who it probably would be. Yeah, that is bad. Unless you're you're counting Dez in this department, you know, circa the early career Dez. I think this team would would really benefit by still having Dwayne Harris. I think that's a player that uh, I think they'd like to still be around here. Good, solid player, good returner, good special teams guy. Yeah, of of my time covering the team, which really, I mean, it goes back to 2011. Yeah, Dwayne Harris is probably the one that stands out for me. I would say that the Tavon Austin fair catch in that Minnesota game is kind of a microcosm, <laughs> pretty good icon. Or if, if you just want to just take a steal shot of him waving for the fair catch, that's kind of the Cowboys' 2010 decade of really looking at punt and kick returners. Now nah, we're good. We're yeah. just going to take the fair catch. <laughs> we're not really trying to draft an exciting player to run the. To run back kicks. Nah, that's hard. They drafted Switzer. They did draft Switzer. They didn't work out. I thought they gave up on Switzer too soon, to be honest. But, you know, it's not like he's killing it out there. He is doing stuff, but he's not killing it. Um, but his fourth-round pick, you know. It was either him or it's going to be him or Donnell Pumphrey, I think. It's kind of the way I, if I, well, I remember hey, it. We got a fact that he is potentially Lucky Whitehead. So Okay. Too many fumbles. And then the dog thing. You lose points for the dog thing, right? All right, that will do it for Mike Pellucci, for uh, John Mashoda, for Kent Garrison. I'm Kevin KT Turner. That was another episode of About Them Cowboys that you can find on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I recommend you go to theathletic.com or download the Athletic app, the best app in the game, if I do say so myself. Uh, it's a great way to listen to podcasts, and you can catch every episode of About Them Cowboys as we get you. Ready for the Cowboys opponent. We review the games right after they happen. We have you covered for anything you need when it comes to the Cowboys over here at The Athletic. That was our all-decade team edition of About Them Cowboys. Cowboys.